Good evening, this is Rob McClure and Vicki Iden bringing you your local news live from the WORT studios on Bedford Street in downtown Madison. Here are the headlines for this evening. Now that the new legislative maps give Democratic candidates a better chance at capturing seats in districts that were previously lopsided, the National Party says that they will financially support these efforts. The Capital Times reports that a National Party official said that they will spend $24,000 to hire staff and expand infrastructure in support of Assembly and Senate candidates. A few months ago, they said they would pledge an additional $24,000. The pledge of about $50,000 left some observers scratching their heads. A single competitive Assembly race can cost over $100,000, and some Senate races can cost half a million. Political action committees, such as the Democratic Leadership Committee, are limited to $12,000 contributions per year. They can, however, fund numerous county-level party organizations. Canadian energy company Enbridge operates the well-known Line 5 oil pipeline, which carries nearly half a million barrels of crude oil and 80,000 barrels of natural gas a day. But it's proposing to relocate a portion of its existing pipeline with new pipe that would run through Ashland, Bayfield, and Iron Counties and through land owned by tribal nations. (coughs) Pardon me. Now, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that 30 tribes are calling on the Biden administration to help them stop the relocation. In a letter, a spokesperson for the Bay Mills Indian community said such a demonstration would not just confirm Biden's commitment to tribal nations but also and, indig- and the rights of indigenous citizens, but also to the rule of law. The group of nations filed the letter with the Biden administration earlier this week, but the administration has reportedly not responded. Warm weather may be a welcome relief from the usual February freeze, but the lack of ice cover makes birth and life difficult for walleye fish, and particularly their ability to reproduce and keep baby walleye alive. That's according to a study published this week by a UW scientist who looked at walleye populations in 194 lakes across Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. She found that variable periods of ice cover is interfering with the normal cycle of laying and fertilizing eggs. In an interview uh, in the Wisconsin State (coughs) Journal, a lead author suggested that climate change is threatening the persistence of walleye populations across the upper Midwest. As the state legislature winds down its term, more state lawmakers are announcing whether or not they'll run again. Today, Representative Christina Shelton, a Democrat from Green Bay, announced that she won't be running for re-election this November. She served two terms in the Assembly and was the lead Democrat on the State Education Committee. As a former member of the Green Bay School Board, Shelton was a strong supporter of public education and an outspoken opponent of attempts to expand vouchers for private schools. More recently, she attempted to pass legislation to support healthy meals for students and fashioned an economic bill of rights for all with Representative Francesca Hong, a Democrat representing Madison. In a social media post, Shelton indicated that the new district maps recently signed into law by Governor Tony Evers weren't the cause of her decision. Instead, she said she is hoping to spend more time with her family and pursue other professional goals. A three-year-old boy from Two Rivers who was reported missing more than a week ago (coughs) remains missing. He was initially reported as missing last week 
Tuesday, February 20th. Now the FBI has offered a $15,000 reward for information on the location of Elijah View, or information that would lead to the conviction of anyone responsible for his disappearance. The Two Rivers Police Department and numerous volunteers have been searching for View since last week. Two days ago, Elijah's mother and another individual were charged with child neglect in relation to his disappearance. Famed conservationist Aldo Leopold's last remaining child died this week at the age of 97. Estella Leopold and her four siblings organized the Aldo Leopold Foundation, located outside of Baraboo. The foundation, part of, a, part of the 16,000-acre Leopold Pine Island bird area, holds the conservationist's notebook that contain his observations of the natural world and also has his famous shack constructed along the Wisconsin River. Estella was an accomplished scientist in her own right, specializing in the study of pollens. Her death comes just days before the start of Leopold Week, an annual event that features a series of virtual speaker presentations from leading experts in conservation. The first session, which starts noon this Friday, will feature a tribute to Estella Leopold. And those were the day's headlines. But as you may already know, we're in the midst of our spring pledge drive, and uh, Jay Davis and Jay Dicieri Ramos are in the studio next door. What's happening out there as far as pledging goes? We need people to donate. Yeah, absolutely. We are in a new hour, Jade and I were here uh, for Democracy Now!, but it's a new hour, it's a new show, and you are listening to WRT's local news, and we need five donors in this hour. That says five to seven, which means I think we need seven donors. Uh, thank you, Jay. Thank you for correcting me. You know, I, I should have known um, Shoot for the Stars here. Shoot WR for the time. Stars, and I think that we can do it. This is a show that I know a lot of people listen to, a lot of people rely on it to catch up on what's been going on in Madison, what's going on across the state. And you, if, if you, if that's you, Call us, 608-256-2001, or go online to wortfm.org. And I know there are also a lot of folks that might be from Madison or have lived in Madison in the past, um, but don't live here anymore, have moved on, but still listen to WORT as their source to stay in tune with their previous city. And I think that, you know, if that is you, then consider donating to WORT. Um, you know, you can give us a call. You can go to our website. You can go to 608-256-2001 to call Bill, who is taking um, phone calls right now, or head to our website, wortfm.org, um, on your phone, tablet, or desktop. We'll, we'll take any of them. Yeah, speaking of Bill, it is his last day as a um, Wednesday evening receptionist. He's been doing that for the whole time that I've been a volunteer here at WORT. And uh, so call him, give him a little bit of a send off, um, help us raise the money that we need to raise and tell Bill how much you appreciate that he has made time to be at the station, you know, weekly for years. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, same for me. I've been shorter than you <laughs> at WRT, but, um, you know, Bill has been here a long time and uh, just such a wonderful member of our community here, our community of volunteers. And, you know, finding volunteers is not 
cheap. It's not free. You know, we have to go out to into the world and recruit Mm -hmm. folks. And, you know, that costs money to be able to do so. And there's got to be, you know, we've got to be a station, right? We have to have a building. We have to have (laughs) something that we're broadcasting into the world. So, um, you know, we can't do that without the dollars that it costs to keep the lights on, to keep the small amount of staff paid to, yeah, like you were saying, you know, pay for um, festivals that we might go to to bring people in. And, um, yeah, call call Bill 608-256-2001. You know, maybe you were once a receptionist and your life situation mm. changed and you just want to call and tell Bill how much you appreciate that he stepped up when he stepped up and how much the station will miss him um, in this role. He's still going to be on query. And, you know, I think the nice thing about WORT is that you never really leave WORT. Um you'll you'll continue to make an impact here yeah you, you'll always you know if you've been a volunteer here you'll always be a part of the wrt community and if you've ever made a donation you'll always be part of the wrt community and so you know one thing that we're always going to emphasize on these pledge drives if you if you've never donated to wrt before we definitely we very much urge you to consider uh, becoming a donor um, at WORT. And you can do that a couple of different ways. Yeah, call the station 608-256-2001 or go online to wortfm.org. We need um, you to go to your phones right now and make that happen. But until then, we'll hear what is going on in the news while you make your phone calls or go online. Wisconsin's last biennial budget set aside $125 million for PFAS testing and cleanup, but the money has yet to be allocated, nearly eight months later. WORT news producer Faye Parks has the story. PFAS can't be broken down naturally, hence the name, Forever Chemicals. They are generally used in nonstick products, various plastics, some clothing, and most notably in the Madison area, firefighting foam. They've been linked to a variety of negative health issues, including cancer. PFAS contamination is so severe in some wells across the state, like those in the town of Stella in Oneida County, that residents have been relying on bottled water. The latest biennial budget set aside $125 million in order to help municipalities and private landowners address PFAS contamination. But that funding hasn't been released and is being held up by additional provisions. Britt Cudebeck, a spokesperson for Governor Evers, says the governor's been working for five years to get a meaningful response to water quality from his GOP colleagues. But Cudebeck says those efforts have been held up. What we've seen from Republicans throughout the governor's time in office is that what they will frequently do is they will put an appropriations bill that just has the appropriation, and then they will put a policy bill separately from that appropriations bill to avoid the governor's line item veto. And that's exactly what happened with PFAS here. Senator Kelda Royce, a Democrat from Madison, has compared this PFAS fund to a sealed glass case, one that can't be touched without the legislature's blessing. And almost eight months later, the $125 million remains untouched. That's because Republicans are looking to legislate how the money is spent, while Democrats argue that the state's Department of Natural Resources should be able to allocate the funds immediately. Republican lawmakers introduced a bill last May that they say would invest in PFAS remediation while protecting, quote, innocent landowners, unquote, from exorbitant costs. If the bill is signed into law, 
municipalities, public water systems, and private landowners would be able to apply for financial support from the DNR. The bill was passed in the Senate in November and passed along party lines in the Assembly last Thursday. It was one of several last-minute actions the Assembly took before adjourning for the year, essentially making it their final offer after months of back and forth. Cudebec says the governor plans to veto the proposal due to a number of toxic provisions. Much of the provisions that are in the bill that was passed by Republicans are tied to Wisconsin having PFAS groundwater standards that we do not have. Just last year, the federal EPA set their own guidelines for acceptable PFAS levels in groundwater. And last year, Wisconsin's version of the EPA, the Department of Natural Resources, or DNR, proposed its own enforcement standards for four different types of PFAS chemicals in groundwater. Those proposed rules were shelved months ago due to the projected cost to implement the groundwater standards. That's due to a Walker-era law, which requires state agencies to get legislative approval for any proposed rules that would exceed what's budgeted to implement them. And right now, the DNR would need specific approval from state lawmakers to continue their work. Meanwhile, Kudovic says this bill to release the funds that have already been allocated also contains other lasting effects, like provisions that would end up protecting polluters. Because what we're basically saying is, hey, if you've contaminated your own land and you allow the DNR to come clean it up at the DNR's own expense, then the DNR can't take any action against you. And that inherently shifts some of that contamination cleanup over to taxpayers. Governor Evers and the DNR have proposed a compromise to the legislature's powerful budget writing committee. He basically took the Republican bill that was passed with Republican support last week in the legislature and took out some of those controversial provisions and instead submitted much of Republicans' own plan back to the Joint Finance Committee for them to be able to release the $125 million so that we can fight PFAS contaminants statewide. The governor's now made two different requests to the Joint Finance Committee asking for them to be released. Um, and Republicans have declined to do so for months now. The governor repeated that request in a letter he issued yesterday. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Faye Parks. The transportation sector has replaced power plants as the nation's largest source of carbon emissions. While light-duty electric vehicles have become more visible, efforts are expanding to add more electric buses to the nation's transportation mix. Here's Mike Mullen of the Wisconsin News Connection. Most schools and transit buses on the nation's roadways these days are still powered by diesel engines. But in Wisconsin and elsewhere, there's hope about the push to switch to electric fleets. The city of Racine has made headlines in recent years for leveraging federal funds to add more electric buses operated by its transit agency. And through the bipartisan infrastructure law, school systems like the Palmyra Eagle District have used federal grants to buy a handful of buses fitted with such technology. Susan Mudd is with the Environmental Law and Policy Center, a Midwest-based advocacy group. She says it's encouraging to see this activity, knowing the benefits that come with it. The children or the riders on buses, including the drivers, will experience zero tailpipe emissions, which they now do because fumes unfortunately often get recirculated into buses. These models also prevent harmful emissions from floating through neighborhoods, especially when buses are idled. Mudd says this has a positive effect on human health, as well as mitigating climate change, with transportation making up nearly 30 percent of U.S. carbon emissions. But even with federal support, she acknowledges there are still upfront cost barriers in securing electric buses. 
Mudd adds that implementing charging stations for larger electric bus fleets can be more intensive than infrastructure for passenger models. It definitely requires more equipment, may require transformer upgrades, and that is more costly. Organizations like hers are appealing to utilities to help make this infrastructure more accessible to schools and transit agencies. Once they get past the initial expenses, supporters say these efforts help schools and municipalities reduce their fuel costs. In late 2022, Wisconsin received more than $25 million in federal support to replace 65 diesel school buses around the state with electric ones. This is Mike Moen for Wisconsin News Connection. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. It's now 6.22 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT. And we turn now to two special guests in the studio, Jay Davis and Jade Isiri Ramos, who want to tell you a little something about the WORT Fall Pledge Drive. Yeah, we have good news of our own. Yeah, absolutely. We have an online donation. It is from Honey G-Dog from Brooklyn, who says they love the weather report. Thanks, Rob. I love the weather report, too. Weather report, 10 out of 10, every the, time. The weather this week? Wild. I'm Wild. really excited oh, yeah. to hear what, yeah. what Rob has to say about it. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can be like Honey G Dog and go online to WORT, uh, sorry, WORTFM.org. I was already give a legal ID there. You got it. Yeah, no, it's it, you slip into it sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> or you can call uh, Bill at 608-256-2001. Just to be clear, um, Bill's a receptionist. He is not... I'm not, like, giving Bill's personal phone number out <laughs> on air. <laughs> no, uh, thank you for, for giving that yeah, a shout. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's very important. You know, uh, people might be confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't, I, I know people, I know people who have uh, pledged rap before have accidentally given out their own phone number no. on air, which is why I'm really glad I don't have a 608 number. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually, that's a good call. Yeah, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for, to get back into the studio here because I want to talk about some of the things that your money might actually go yeah, towards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so often during, the pledge drive um you know at least i felt like this because last pledge drive was my first pledge drive and i talked about a lot of things that wort needed but right now i actually want to talk about what we've gotten because of the donations and one thing that has directly impacted my ability to be a volunteer at wort is the new computers in the newsroom yes yeah those have made a huge huge difference in the, the capabilities of our volunteers. They're so fast. Incredibly, yeah. And so I edit the kiosk, the Insurgent uh -huh. Radio kiosk, um, about once a month. And when I first started doing the Insurgent Radio kiosk, coming in and working on our old computers, it took me about one to one and a half to two times longer than it does to now mm -hmm. you know we are talking about that much of a time difference you know saving me time saving the rest of all 300 volunteers more than 300 yeah. volunteers their time is being saved um, by just a simple computer upgrade and that's because of donors or potential donors like yourself who might be listening right now yeah and i also um that being said you know we're talking on uh, the news program, which is produced, and, and these stories are made by volunteer reporters, and they are on a deadline, right? So if it takes 
if it takes like 15 minutes for them to export a project mm-hmm. that it's not going to happen then it's not going to be on the news but these new computers you know spit that out in 30 seconds mm-hmm. and um make it so that you are able to have the high quality news the, the news that sounds good um and and that's coming to your ears yeah you know it sounds good it gets here on time it gets here uh in a, in a timely fashion and so that you can know what's happening around you um you know because it, it it takes it takes a lot of power you know a, a lot of people power to bring these shows together you know you're, you're talking uh, many volunteers you know uh, that are putting clips together that are putting stories together um and you know it's all from the hub here on bedford street um and we need your donation to make this hub work you know absolutely hey uh jay just checked the online pledge report and oh we have another donation from taylor who uh, likes melon floyd soul sessions and entertainment and is getting the um, madison illustrated history oh very nice yeah good, good, and good great show choices as yeah well. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely uh so thank you taylor for donating thank you honey g dog uh for for donating these people both went online to make that donation um which again the website is wortfm.org there's a big button you push donate um you can if you have paypal set up can be that quick you don't even have to pull your um your credit card out of your pocket Mm -hmm. yeah very easy to do um and so maybe you're on the road right now you're on your way home from work um you know uh, you've just picked up your kids from school whatever the case might be um you know as soon as you get home as soon as you're able to safely do so hop on your phone hop on your computer and head to wortfm.org or you know if you're feeling like picking up a phone you want to talk to bill who's out there taking phone calls on his last receptionist shift um you know you can do so 608-256-2001 yeah and maybe you're listening after the fact maybe you're listening to the show on our app or you're listening to it in the archives or as a podcast um you know it still matters your donation still matters so even if you're listening Mm -hmm. listening to this wednesday news and it's thursday morning um donate to the station 608-256-2001 608-256-2001 or go online to wortfm.org we're going to go back to the news in just a second um i bill just came in with a donation so we're going to thank this person in the next break but be like this person go online we need at least four more of you in this special pledge drive edition of framing culture feature contributor jose carlos texiera shares some highlights from his past interviews Over the last few months, Jose has offered an inside look at the arts communities in Madison, Milwaukee, Stoughton, and even Portugal. Here's that compilation. Framing culture. Framing culture. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? It's nice to see you, Jose. It's so nice to see you. It's a beautiful sunny morning, a little chill, but, you know, quite uh, a beautiful fall day. Yes, it's a beautiful fall day. It's a Wisconsin day. So your name is Muriel, am I right? Yep. My name is Muriel. Ingram. Yes. I am at the Madison Public Library, and today I have a special guest. Hello, my name is Trent Miller. I wear many hats. One of them is the head of the bubbler program at Madison Public Library. 
Welcome to Framing Culture. I am in front of Washington Park in Milwaukee, and I have an interesting guest with me today. Hello. Hello. You are? My name is Sarah Delayden. I'm with MKE LAX, and I'm a co-owner of Washington Park Media Center. I am now in Stoughton at the Able Contemporary Gallery. Hello. Good morning. Hi, Jose. I'm Teresa Abel, and thanks for coming. Hello, good evening. I am in Guimarães, a city in the northern part of Portugal, and I am in front of Atelier Retiro. Olá! Bem-vindo! Hello! Welcome! Come on in! Hello, Joy. How are you? inevitably when you start peeling back the layers of spaces that are around you when you start investigating and asking questions stuff can emerge that isn't comfortable and um, there are always histories here and most of the land that we occupy has had some violent histories and not that long ago I could look just just up the street just just over there where that tree is mm-hmm. and I would have seen a mound. I would have seen big, beautiful oaks with spreading branches and underneath a mound and probably the outline of one just over the hill. Yeah, I just love ideas and I love seeing all these, you know, trying to coordinate a hundred artists is wildly fun for me, especially in like a a limited time. Just seeing the connections that are made between different artists, um, seeing the community come into a space and think and see that space in a different way. I think when there's still lots of people that come to Madison Public Library, the Central Library, or to the municipal building, having people have that good experience in that space, I think, um, can do something to the space and can make people feel and think about um, what's possible in different ways. Absolutely. So the question is, where the center is, is a perception, and we can change our perception, and we can understand multiple centers if we want, and different scales of the centered. So I always think about it here, how Milwaukee sometimes is viewed as a center for Wisconsin, partly because it's a major city, but you still are talking about a city less than a million people. So it's, it's just always relative. Another way to define center isn't just scale or economy. It's also where do we just feel a sense of hearth, you know, a sense of warmth and ability to incubate and grow. So I, for me, yeah, I feel like I'm trying to experiment with how to create a sense of center, again, for artists, designers, other culture workers of this region, because I really feel that economy grows when we connect more. The gallery takes up 8,000 square feet in this building. I've always been a painter, and that and my work isn't always the feature of the gallery. This is very unusual. Uh, I have been working on a body of work for about five years. Uh, Kelly Hopman is a Madison artist who does beautiful figurative work that's almost a little surreal, or some might refer to as magical realism. And she and I have known each other for over 30 years, and we've collaborated before. And it's always just really wonderful to work with her. We've had an ongoing dialogue about our work all of those years. 
I'm having a hard time. I'm going to take a pottery class. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. I'm going to take a pottery class. I'm divorced. I'm going to take a pottery class. I'm sad. I'm going to take a pottery class. So, so it becomes this sort of therapeutic, cathartic yeah, process sure. with your hands. Yes. Uh, working in clay, because we all throughout humanity have worked in clay. It's the oldest art form and it was our first industrial product ceramics we have a whole different aspect especially in the united states on craft as craft is vocation Mm -hmm. but craft can be elevated to a high art Mm -hmm. that high art has value and merit whether it be therapeutic or as a product an art product to purchase and thank you thank you so thank you so much you're welcome bye-bye It's now 6.39 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT. And we are turning now for a report from you and our pledge drive. Jay and Jade, what's our news? That's the sound of Jean, who made a donation to WORT um, and got one of those really cool new wart hoodies that uh, say another weirdo for wart. Yep, Gene is declaring that they are indeed a weirdo for WORT. And you could potentially join Gene if you um, are so inclined. Yeah, we've got about uh, 20 minutes left, which means we need uh, four more people in that 20 minutes. I think that's totally doable. One every five minutes. So it'll keep Bill nice and busy out there and it'll keep our um, website. Uh, cranking through it so um, be like our our donor so far gene and taylor and honey g dog and donate to the station yeah we would love to hear from you either at 608-256-2001 or wortfm.org big bright orange donate button uh very easy to do um but um yeah no uh, wrt we've been pleading with you all night maybe you're just joining us um and you haven't gotten to hear why you should donate to wrt but there's a lot of fantastic people here and you can be a part of that community yeah you know i would love to hear from someone who hasn't donated before um maybe you are you know like i was six seven years ago um when i first came to madison and wort was a way that i started connecting with this community that I live in. I started learning about what was happening, what people were talking about, um, you know, what what news I needed to know. I turned to WORT and started to become a part of this community. Maybe you're like I was, um, and, and now's the time for you to put your money where your mouth is, um, become a part of this community, go online to WORTFM.org or uh, call 608-256-2001. Yeah, Jade, I, I've been a part of WRT for about a year now. Yeah, I was just thinking on my drive over. Yeah, it's it's pretty close to it. Um, And, I mean, it's... I can't... I, I'm not over-exaggerating. It, it has changed my life. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to, to have a place that accepted me so... With, with such wide, open arms was incredible. And, you know, places like this only happen because they are community-based you know there was you know i i I came in and i said just i i want to help in in some way shape or form um and now this is this is what i want to do you know like i've fallen in love with radio uh and and making good audio and it could have only happened at wrt yeah i remember um 
I, I remember meeting you that first time about a year ago and you were like, this is the time that I'm going to invest in myself and I'm going to learn this new skill. And WORT for you and, and for me has been a place where um, I've been able to do that. You've been able to do that. We've been mm-hmm. able to say, you know, here's a skill set that I want to have. Where can I learn it for free as long as I'm just giving a little bit of my mm-hmm. my time and my effort and my enthusiasm and WORT is able to be this resource for us, for the community, because people donate and people continue to donate. Um, you know, people come back time and time again and they donate, you know, $50, they donate $10, whatever they can. Um, they donate to make sure that this space exists and will exist for a long time. Yeah, exactly. The longevity is what matters, you know, because we don't want WORT to just be here tomorrow, but decades centuries into the future i want to be able to retire and be here you know (laughs) two times a week just just for the fun of it at 608-256-2001 or go online wortfm.org and we go now it is now time for the most comprehensive weather report on the airwaves with wort weather guru Rob McClure. Well, weird weather indeed. Uh, We don't see many temperature drops like the one last evening. Uh, We've had some that have been faster, actually, in terms of degrees per hour, but seldom one reaching quite so far along the length of the thermometer in a single shot. We lost 59 degrees from 70 down to 11 between about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon and 7 o'clock this morning, so that's about 15 hours. Uh, It would have been nice to have picked up just one extra degree to make it an even 60 after all that. Uh, To put a slightly different lens on it, too, the uh, wind chill at 7 a.m. this morning was 9 below zero, so that made for an almost 80-degree drop in the apparent temperature over that same time frame. And if that's not remarkable enough, consider that yesterday's 70-degree high temperature blew past the previous record set in 1976 by 12 degrees. We don't often see records making jumps like that, although it has become a bit more common in the past couple of decades. Monday's 67-degree, also record high temperature, only bested the previous mark by 5 degrees. That's still quite a bit. Uh, Both those temperatures overperformed, as we say, compared to predictions, but neither was terribly far out of the range of expectation, given the uh, extraordinary way the models were looking. Uh, Incidentally, 70 degrees, if I'm not mistaken, does set a new record for the warmest temperature ever recorded in Madison in the month of February. The previous mark was 68. And if all of those numbers aren't astonishing enough, consider that uh, in another couple of days we may go through the same exercise again. I don't think we'll quite get back into record territory this time around, but uh, with temperatures commonly overperforming the models in uh, recent weeks, I do hesitate to be too conservative. Have a look at the water vapor image of North America that we have linked on the WORT weather webpage this evening, and you'll be able to see the wave series responsible for our temperatures bobbing up and down recently and going into the future as well. There continue to be two active jet branches across the continent, and the more amplified series of waves is located in the northern branch, with uh, crests and troughs running roughly between about 40 and 60 degrees north latitude. 
There is a subtropical branch also still pressing more zonally across the Mid-South, which uh, yesterday, as with most times recently, was one more factor along with low-level wind trajectories, which helped keep any substantive moisture confined well to our south ahead of last night's cold frontal passage. So uh, with only a single hundredth of an inch of precipitation out of uh, that frontal passage, we remain at just a fraction of our normal precipitation for February, which is already a dry month. The uh, water vapor image shows how narrow the upper trough is that swung overhead here today with the Arctic air beneath it. And now an upper ridge that's currently building northward behind it up over the western mountains into Alberta and Saskatchewan will be moving eastward on a similarly brisk trajectory. The uh, trough behind the ridge, currently deepening out uh, down over the west coast, will be generating surface low pressure circulations over coming days, which will be rippling northeastward up over the top of that ridge and across Canada to our north. So that will ensure a steady fetch of southwesterly winds feeding through here over the coming days. Uh, providing warming, yes, but also providing uh, good vertical mixing to help realize some of the potential warm temperatures aloft, making it down here to the surface. A cold frontal passage later Sunday into Monday, once again, doesn't look to be a major precipitation producer for us. But back to the details uh, for tonight, uh, with the surface high pressure cell and its Arctic air on a slightly slower trajectory eastward than we were expecting, it is possible uh, that we may drop all the way into the single digits in some places as the the winds uh, decouple towards calm later on, Uh, otherwise uh, winding up somewhere in the low teens. Uh, Northwesterly winds at 8 to 12 miles per hour will come down and back more southwesterly through the night. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, decent sunshine and uh, increasing southerly winds will take temperatures to the low 40s by mid-afternoon. South to southwest winds will increase to 10 to 17 miles per hour with uh, probably some gustiness as well later on. Southwesterly winds continuing through the overnight will hold temperatures up in the low 30s going into Friday. A bit more passing uh, cloud cover is possible Friday. I think much of the day, though, will be sunny, which will allow us, I think, to uh, pass 50, again, with uh, the aid of southwesterly winds up at 12 to 20 miles per hour. Uh, Not much past, probably 50 or 51, I think. Uh, Temperatures uh, will uh, drop to the mid-30s going uh, overnight into Saturday with some additional passing high and mid-level clouds as southwesterly winds uh, continue up at 10 10 to 15 miles per hour overnight. And temperatures are likely to approach 60, I think, on Saturday, again with uh, generally dry southwesterly winds ratcheting up to 12 to 18 miles per hour during the day. Modest increases in moisture then in the overnight uh, on more southerly winds at 10 to 15 miles per hour may hold temperatures in the mid-40s going into Sunday. That should give us a good jump on possibly 70 degrees that day. Clouds are likely to be much more of an issue, especially later in the day Sunday. And then we'll cool behind a cold front going into Monday, nothing like last night, last night just a knocking a good 10 or 20 degrees off the high temperatures for Monday. Uh, at the moment, at the station down here on Bedford Street, the temperature is 25 degrees. The dew point temperature is 2 below zero. Uh, winds are out of the west, still up at about 12 miles per hour. Uh, skies are crystal clear overhead, and the barometer is uh, rising fairly briskly. It's up to 30.20 inches of mercury. We go now to March 1965, when Madison played its part in the historic Civil Rights March from Selma to Montgomery. Stu Levitan has the movement news and more on tonight's Madison in the 60s. All the years come 
Madison in the 60s, March 1965. On the 14th, close to a thousand Madison residents, most coming directly from church, mass at the State Street steps of the state capitol for a prayer vigil. They're supporting the civil rights activists marching from Selma to Montgomery. Republican Governor Warren Knowles draws sustained applause when he salutes the demonstrators, including a group that walked almost two miles through biting winds from the First Congregational Church on Breeze Terrace. Rabbi Manfred Swarzenski's Master of Ceremonies for the program, which was organized by the Reverend George Van, pastor of St. Paul's African Methodist Church. The emotional highlight is the eulogy by First Unitarian Society's Reverend Max Gabler, for his friend, the Reverend James Reeb of the Unitarian Universalist Church in Boston. Reeb died Thursday after being attacked by segregationists in Selma. Two days later, three busloads of badgers bound for Alabama to support the historic march leave town on a trip arranged by the University Friends of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. I am proud that our students are concerned enough about basic human rights to express their views. Chancellor Robin Fleming says, calling on instructors to treat the two-day absences as they do, quote, other collegiate ventures which cause temporary absence. But the original destination, Selma, is getting too dangerous. The group heads for Montgomery instead, until the situation there also proves so hazardous that SNCC officials ask the 114 students to head for Washington, D.C. instead to protest federal failure to protect the marchers. After talking it over for more than two hours at the Chicago bus depot, the group reluctantly agrees to the new plan. It becomes a wintry four-day vigil in front of the White House. Squatting on snowy, slushing sidewalks isn't much fun, and the students are a bit bitter about not being Alabama-bound, but they draw national media to the cause and feel they've done some good. At night, the students stay at the Lincoln Memorial Congregational Temple, sleeping on the pews and floor. Meanwhile, a chartered flight of about 25 clergy, doctors with donated medical supplies, and law students leave Madison for Montgomery at about 2 in the morning on St. Patrick's Day. But the Freedom Flyers make it only to Chicago before they're snowbound by a late winter storm and stuck for 24 hours. Still, their spirits stay high. We shall overcome, one passenger is said to remark, even the weather. Attorney General Bronson LaFollette served as secretary-treasurer of the committee, which raised the necessary $3,000. The group finally makes it to Montgomery late Thursday morning, March 18th, staying about 18 hours to observe, assist, and report on the march. University YMCA Program Director Jim Sykes is among those walking the last miles into the Capitol. Daily Cardinal Editor Gail Bensinger and Sports Editor David Wolf bear witness in Montgomery while reporter Eric Newhouse, on the bus initially slated for Selma, reports from Washington. In campus news this month, on the 4th, the Hillel Foundation on Langdon Street hosts a coffee and cookies reception for folk singer Pete Seeger before his performance at the Orpheum that night. It's a fundraiser for the University Friends of SNCC. A minimum contribution of 75 cents is requested. That night, the show's highlight is a driving rendition of Bob Dylan's A Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall that delights the near-capacity crowd. And on the 15th, David Keene registers the UW Young Americans for Freedom 
an affiliate of the National Conservative Group. It was founded at a meeting at author and polemicist William F. Buckley's Connecticut estate on September 11, 1960. YAF has grown into an enduring and powerful right-wing organization. And an important passing to note, Oscar G. Meyer, 76, whose family visit to Madison in 1919 led to the founding of the city's most important private employer of the 20th century, dies in his sleep of a heart attack at his home in Evanston, Illinois, on March 5th. Meyer, then the general manager of his father's Chicago packing plant, was here to visit his brother-in-law, banker Frederick W. Sewer. One day, when it was too rainy to go for a drive, Sewer told him there was an auction for a failed meatpacking co-op near the sewage plant on the northeast side of town. Meyer had been looking for a rural slaughterhouse to decentralize his operations, and he liked what he saw. His father, Oscar F. Meyer, authorized him to spend $300,000 for the facility, which the co-op members overwhelmingly accepted. A few months later, the company subsidized the extension of streetcar tracks from the east side to the plant so its workers could get to the remote site. It also built 50 modest homes for workers. Meyer became chairman and moved the company headquarters to Madison upon his father's death at age 95 in 1955. At the time, the company employed close to 5,000 workers, about one-third of the city's entire industrial workforce. Meyer and several executives, especially Adolf C. Boltz, also became important local philanthropists. And that's this week's Madison in the 60s. For your award-winning, listener-supported, pledge-driving WORT news team, I'm Stu Levitan. And the time is now 6.55, and you're listening to the live local news on WORT, a volunteer-powered radio station with non-commercial news, which needs your support to stay non-commercial. Jay Davis and Jay Dicery Ramos have been thanking those of you who have pledged. Any more weirdos out there supporting us weirdos down here? Not any new ones, but we do really want to thank Gene Taylor and Honey G-Dog for making... Um, their support for WORT known during this hour. And it's not too late if you're listening and you uh, want to help us reach our goal. We didn't we didn't hit it yet, so we need you um, to go online, wortfm.org, or call the station at 608-256-2001. And like Jade said earlier, uh, maybe you are streaming this Thursday morning or yeah. catching it sometime later in the week, and you think, oh, Shucks, I missed my opportunity. No, you have not. Anytime is a great time to donate to WORT and help the station moving on. This is just time that we ask a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, maybe you were waiting to hear Rob's weather report. I know I was as I uh, woke up to a totally different season this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, give us a donation. Add a little comment saying that, you know, you, you really appreciate the Wednesday six o'clock news i know that i do and i know that this is a resource that is incredibly valuable to our community yeah you know if there was a particular segment you know say that really moved you or that you regularly tune in just for that segment this is the perfect opportunity to let the person that produces that segment know how much you appreciate it uh, by donating to to wort and helping this station continue and helping them continue to make great content yeah 
Um, I also I want to just shout out the people who helped us during this hour mm. who weren't on on mic. So we've got Katie here who was engineering, hanging out with us, keeping us on our time, uh, which is important during the pledge drive. Mm-hmm. And it just showed me a one minute <laughs> one minute <laughs> sign. We had Bill who's been hanging out for the last couple hours, taking calls. Migrants provided food. We've got staff who are hanging out, um, acting as backup on the phones. And it's all because we care about WORT, and we know that you do too. So give us a call, 608-256-2001, or go online to wortfm.org. It's not too late to show your support for the local news. Yeah, and like we've said before, but I'll say it again one more time. If the if you feel like you can't give enough, uh, the amount does not matter to us. You know, you are showing your support no matter what, and know that... We appreciate it from the deepest corners of our heart. Well, there's definitely been times where I've gone online and given five dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so six zero eight two five six two zero zero one, or go online to wortfm.org and make your support known. Keep those calls coming in. Thank you so much, Jay and Jade. Uh, Keep the calls coming tonight at 608-256-2001. Keep those web donations coming, too. They make a huge difference at wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you all so much for supporting the WORT live local news at 6 p.m. Monday through Thursday nights. We want to belatedly credit the lead author of our walleye headline earlier this evening, Martha Barta, a research intern at the UW-Madison. Your headline writers today were David Ahrens and Greg Sanderson. Special thanks to feature contributors Jose Carlos Texiera, Stu Levitan, and Mike Mowen of Wisconsin News Connection. Engineer Katie Jagella got the news on the air. Faye Parks produced this newscast, and Sholly Pittman is the news director at WORT. I'm your host, Vicki Iden. And I'm your host, Robert McClure. A big shout out to Bill Kingsbury for his service on the phones all these Thank years. You, Bill. We'll miss Stay- you. Stay tuned next for Query. That'll be followed by This Way Out at 7.30. And good night.